Hello, I'm Nicole Aberdeen and I write about books for Good Weekend. Welcome to the Books, Books, Books podcast in which I interview the best writers from Australia and overseas about their latest books. Thank you for joining me. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the country where I live and work and from where I'm joining this conversation, the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present, to the elders of all communities and cultures across Australia and to leaders of the future. You can listen to this podcast, all of the episodes at nicoleabody.com.au or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this special episode of Books, 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 which was recorded live at Adelaide Writers' Week in March 2022 in a session called Comrades in Words with two of Australia's top writers, Charlotte Wood and Christos Chalkas. In this conversation, Charlotte and Christos drew on their most recent books, Charlotte's brilliant study of creativity, The Luminous Solution, and Christos's wonderful genre-defying Seven and a Half, to discuss how they function as artists and the challenges of the creative life. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to this afternoon's session, Comrades in Words. My name's Nicole Abadie, and um, today I am extremely lucky to be speaking to two of Australia's most loved writers and greatest thinkers, Charlotte Wood and Christos Chalkas. Thank you. We will be talking about their spectacular recent books, which were two of my favourites from last year, Charlotte's The Luminous Solution, a collection of essays on creativity, resilience and the inner life, and Christos's Seven and a Half, which is kind of a genre-busting blend of memoir and fiction. We'll be talking about how they both function as artists in the world, the challenges of the creative life, and how they manage life during the pandemic. Before we begin, we acknowledge the Kana, the Kana people are the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. We recognise and respect their cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationships with the land, and we acknowledge that they are of continuing importance to the Kana people living today. Thank you for attending Adelaide Writers' Week. I just need, before we start, to reinforce some of the key conditions of the COVID management plan. Please maintain social distancing wherever possible. We strongly encourage the wearing of masks and ask that you follow directions given by the COVID marshals. Please support our authors by purchasing books at the book tent. Charlotte and Christos will both be available near the book tent to sign books afterwards. So before I begin, I would like to tell you a little bit about these two fabulous writers. I'll start with Dr. Charlotte Wood, AM. She's the author of six novels, including The Natural Way of Things and The Weekend, The Writer's Room, a collection of interviews with writers, and Love and Hunger, a book about the joys of cooking. Got some great recipes in it, apart from anything else. She also produces a podcast called The Writer's Room. Charlotte's novel, The Natural Way of Things, won the 2016 Stella Prize, was joint winner of the Prime Minister's Literary Award and the Indie Book of the Year and Novel of the Year, and it has attracted widespread international acclaim. Her 2019 novel, The Weekend, won the 2020 Australian Book Industry Award for Literary Fiction and has been an international bestseller, published in the UK, Germany, the US and Italy. The Sunday Times named it as one of the 25 best novels of 2020. Charlotte's writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, 
Literary Hub, the Sydney Morning Herald, Griffith Review and the Saturday Paper, amongst others. And in 2019, Charlotte was made a member of the Order of Australia, AM, for significant services to literature. Please make her welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Christos Chalkas is a novelist, essayist, playwright and screenwriter and librettist now as of this week. He's written seven novels, including The Slap, Barracuda and Damascus. The Slap, in 2008, published in 2008, was an international bestseller, translated into 22 languages, and it won the overall best book in the Commonwealth Writers' Prize 2009. It won the Australian Literary Society Gold Medal, the 2009 Australian Book Awards Book of the Year, and was longlisted for the 2010 Man Booker Prize. The Slap and Barracuda were adapted into highly successful TV series. Christos's most recent novel, Damascus, won the 2019 Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Fiction. In November 2021, he won the prestigious Melbourne Prize for Literature for his outstanding body of work, contribution to Australian literature and to cultural and intellectual life, a huge honour. His work is also regularly published in The Guardian and The Monthly, and he's the film critic for the Saturday paper. What a great gig that must be. Christos, welcome. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. So the title of this session is Comrades in Words. I'd like to start by asking you both about how you first met and became friends. I met Christos in the company of our mutual dear friend and publisher, Jane Palfreyman. And Jane said to me, come and have a drink with my friend Christos. And I, we're in Melbourne, and I said, okay. And I was terrified of meeting Christos because he had this reputation as being very, um, you know. Horrible. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you know, this um, savage social critique. And, and I thought, he's going to think I'm just a prissy little straight white, you know, idiot. And um, I met him and he threw his arms around me and hugged me. And anyone who knows Christos knows his incredible huge bear hugs. And um, I thought, oh, he's just like my little brother. <laughs> so, and I loved him ever since. Christos, what do you remember about first meeting Charlotte? Uh, yeah, well, Jane Palfrey. No, 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 Jane Palfrey. Because this is about friendship, right? And, and the literary world. Uh, Jane saying, who's our publisher and our friend, and saying, you're going to, I really want you to meet Charlotte. And I had that huge sense of relief meeting you thinking I'm going to just enjoy this person's company, right? And you you were incredibly warm and incredibly generous and you were not uh, up yourself and you were genuinely interested and I just thought, I, I adore this woman. And my, there is the, the meeting and then there's also the meeting through the words because that's what we yeah. do, right? And the, the, I, I, I remember... Uh, I don't, it wasn't very long after that Animal People came out and that, for me, was uh, part of the falling in love with you, Charlotte, because no, I, no. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know how I feel about all your work, but that was my first introduction to you as a writer and I, I, I still think that is a, a superb and humane book. And yeah, Thank so you. it is... It is... That's really important to, to say to, to all of you that it is both the person who Charlotte Wood is and the writer that mm. Charlotte Wood, Wood is that 
I remember. <laughs> and, That's very lovely. So we're just going to talk a little bit specifically about your latest books and then we're going to move to a more general free-ranging discussion about creativity. Charlotte, your beautiful book, your essay collection, The Luminous Solution, which is basically a collection of essays about creativity. What was the idea behind this collection? Thanks, Nick. I, I had written a lot of stuff over the years, you know, since I started writing about the creative process and about other people's creative process. And I was kind of obsessed with how people make art, and I still am. And I'd written bits and pieces uh, that were published here and there. Some things were not published. I did a PhD study into cognition and creativity, and I wrote a lot of stuff for that. And um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was asked to write something for um, The Age, I think, about the inner life. And it was one of those kind of fortuitous commissions because I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of writing about the inner life and that little sort of um, essay became a kind of um, investigation of, well, what is it? What is the inner life? What does it mean? And what is, does everybody have an inner life? And does it matter if you don't have one? And if, if you have one, what, what nurtures it and what, um, you know, threatens it? And then I got a lot of feedback after that was published. A lot of people contacted me. And it was, it was also about that feeling of a nourished inner life being threatened by the great fear that was suddenly out there for all of us. And, um, and anyway, it was just, it's now the first chapter of the book. It's called Fertile Ground and it's about um, how to, for me, just very personally, how I protect and nourish the part of me that's able to make art and how that is inseparable from my inner life. But what was interesting was how many people came out, sort of contacted me and said, oh, that's exactly how I felt, this kind of having to bring in the boundaries and work out what really matters in your, inside yourself, you know, in things that define you. So then I thought, well, this may be a, a good time to, while we're locked down and um, kind of freaking out, I was massively freaking out, um, how to bring all this stuff that I had written about creativity together and see if there was anything cohesive that I had to say. Um, and you know, we took a lot of stuff out and hopefully made a, a quite a, you know, a, a coherent collection. I didn't want to do it as a collection of all kinds of different stuff that I'd written and put them together. Um, so that's how it came about. Christos, your book, Seven and a Half, you describe it or the character in the book called Christos describes it at one point as being part memoir, part fiction. It's about a 50-something Greek-Australian writer called Christos in his mid-50s. He comes from Melbourne. He's been in a long, loving relationship with his partner, Simon, for many decades, and he heads to the south coast of New South Wales for a fortnight to write a novel that's been floating around in his head for a decade. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about genre. As I say, you you talk about it as being both memoir as in fiction, as well as fiction. And I wonder, did you intend it to write autofiction? I guess the, the term that's used for books like Carl Ove Nausgaard's six-volume My Struggle, is that what you intended to do with this? Uh, I, I, I'm going to be really honest and say that um, I don't keep up with 
a lot of the literature terms. Um, and auto, I mean, of course, I'd heard about autofiction, but I don't, I didn't, I mean, no, I didn't sit down and, and think I'm going to write autofiction. But I was, uh, for the last, I guess I'm, I'm going to say now the last decade, I've been doing this exercise, which is part of what you talk about in The Luminous Solution, I think, to kind of the work we do to to try to understand the inner life, the imaginative life. And and I I, I wrote a, a monograph on Patrick White because it came out of a year of I just I just thought I'm gonna read all of Patrick White because I've it felt like it was enormous gap in my reading um, uh, that I had never read all of White's writing. And then I just found that ferociously important in terms of inspiration. And then I did the, that Year after Patrick White, I did um, all of Virginia Woolf, who was another writer who I, I, um, I felt kind of silly that I hadn't read more of. And that too, I mean, I, I just discovered The Waves was one of the finest works in the English language um, in that year. And then I, then I did the next year Jean Genet, and the, the, the book begins with a quote from Genet, who I had read because he was really important to me as a queer writer coming out. Uh, and discovering something beautiful that I had first read and something frightening that I'd first read when I was uh, a late teen and a young adult, and also realising how astonishing his craft was. So my, that, what I'm trying to say, Nicole, is that I think I was engaging with the modernist. When I think about those three writers and, and reading them, that's, you know, White, Virginia Woolf, Jean Genet, um, they're, they're modernist writers and they, they didn't have the word autofiction back then, but they, you, you can't read Genet without his life, the details of his life, an element of autobiography being in the reading, but he's telling you at every point, I'm a traitor, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm playing, you know, mm. do not trust me. Mm. This is what also what, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm doing fiction. So um, that, I, I haven't thought about it quite clearly as that, but I think that was really, must have inspired the writing of, of Seven and a Half, mm. is, is that reading. And a little bit similar to you, Charlotte, I'd got a, I had been with my partner Wayne in the UK. We were going to celebrate 35 years. We were only there a week before the world went mad. We luckily got a... Because we travelled with a, uh, we booked with a travel agent who saved us. He mm. got us a flight out, went straight into quarantine. I was working on a novel called Resentment, which is, I think, me trying to be the scary Christos you were <laughs> referring to, me being too hyperconscious of what I should be writing, and it was dead on the page. And you've talked about this, mm. and then I just thought, I'm going to, I need, I'm in quarantine. The world has changed. I'm just going to need to do an exercise as a writer and I started writing seven and a half Both daily, of, every day. And I read that you set yourself a task of writing 800 words a day. At least, yeah. Yeah. But taking Saturday, Sundays off and that, that had come out of Damascus because I think I learned through that book that there is actually something really wise in ancient wisdoms and I do think you need... Mm, a day of rest. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the artistic creative life. You've talked a little bit, Charlotte, about the inner life and how important it is to you, and there's a lot about that in that first essay, Fertile Ground. Something that both of you talk about 
in these books is the idea of home. Uh, seemed to me to be quite an important concept, especially in your book, Christos, and I wondered to what extent for both of you your writing life provides a home to which you can retreat from the world. Charlotte? Yeah, I think it does feel like that to me, that one's writing is a home to go to and I really like getting away from it. (laughs) But if you're away too long from the work, you know, it's like a homesickness, I think, that happens. Um, And it is, I think of it as a place that I go to in my mind um uh, it's i mean it's a hard thing to to define but it at first i thought you were going to talk about like a physical physical home um which is also really important Uh, let's talk about that for a moment because you say to write well you need things to be in order well i do yeah um and even then doesn't mean that you write well but um (laughs) I need a sense of things are sort of in control. And I'm, you know, and that's one of the reasons, like, during the pandemic that is obviously still going on, um, I I couldn't write. We're supposed to be able to, oh, well, I write, I work at home anyway. I don't have children. I don't have elderly parents to worry about. I should be absolutely primed to just sit down and, and I couldn't because I was so anxious. Um, So, but that, ordinarily creating a sort of sense of physical order and and sort of boundaries of time and space um, is really important to just to sink in. And, you know, in in Seven and a Half when uh, Christos, um, when you first think about his friend Andrea, she'll understand when I say, I can't see you, I'm working. Mm. That's quite a hard thing to do to people, but you sort of have to do it. And I think you learn over time that at first it's hard to hurt people's feelings, but after a while, well, I've realised I can't, I can't go and have coffee endlessly. I can't because, and it's not the time that it takes to have the coffee; it's all the around time and the, the, the kind break of break in, in the, the yeah. break in the kind of dropping down into that quiet space. Christos, what about you? The idea of home is quite an important one. It seems to me in seven and a half. Is writing, is writing home for you? Well, I think oh, I've got so many things to say. Uh, I, I think that because I, I have such a clear image of uh, being in Doha Airport, you know, this is March 2020, 20. yeah, and, and the panic, I mean, you know, suddenly history is, you suddenly realise you're in history. Um, and you know we're a lucky generation. I'm a lucky generation that mm. I've, it's taken this long for me mm. to feel mm. that. Uh, and the absolute terror that you could see in the people mm. wondering what is what's happening. What is this virus? How do I get home? And mm. there was a a, um, a young woman who was waiting for a flight to uh, Lagos. Uh, she was I don't know where her home was. She was she was uh, on the, the phone kind of distressed speaking French uh, and just going, I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. And I realised that home, I've been searching, wondering, questioning what home is all my life, it feels like, all my conscious life as a, you know, in this place called Australia. And I realised it was home. <laughs> it mm. was, was 
whatever, you know, and it was... So that, I think, is why that became so central to, to Seven and a Half. Mm. I mean, Charlotte, you know, I, 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 I'm, there's a young person in my life who I adore and she wants to make art her work. And I remember a few years ago giving her David Burns' How Music Works because that's an artist explaining the process of how... Mm what you need to create in your life, you know, to, to be a musician. And I'm going, I said to Charlotte, I'm, when we're signing books, she's got to sign one for me to give to this young person because she's struggling to find a way to create what you and I do, a home that is a place to work that is sometimes having to be quite brutal and say, no, I can't see you, mm. I am at work. Mm. And that's, that took a long, long time mm. for me to learn. I think uh, that's hard, especially in Australia, yes. because, you know, you sound like a wanker. <laughs> when, when you haven't published anything, when you just say, no, I can't come for lunch because I'm making art, is, you know, we're not allowed to say that here. And yeah. I think that's a real shame because we should be celebrating that and encouraging that rather than... Oh, <laughs> um, but so, yeah, the sooner... I kind of think maybe younger people are better at it than we were. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's true, Charlotte. I mean, it is true there is that, that sense that I am, a, you know... You know I remember stumbling over the words, mm. I am a writer. Mm. If someone asked what you, what you did, it felt embarrassing. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that there is a, a cultural change. I know, but then there is the kind of thing of, I also, and this is a, a bad admission, but when someone who actually hasn't yet published something says, I'm a writer, I sort of think, hmm, well, we'll see. You know? <laughs> um, which is mean, and I'm, it's, I'm just arguing the complete opposite of what I just said, but... I don't know. I, I feel a bit puritanical about having to earn things too, and I bet you feel like that. Christos, I, li I liked your reference to David Burns, and I, it's something that you talk about in your book, Charlotte, that you've learned a lot from talking to other artists, mm. painters, sculptors, actors, musicians. I'd like to ask you both about that, how that helps talking to other artists. I'll start with you, Charlotte. Yeah, I want to hear Christos about film particularly. I... I um, I learn so much from visual artists and in recent years, particularly painters, mm. my partner runs an art transport business, which is a fantastic business. And so we suddenly started acquiring a lot of paintings because half of the artists didn't have any money and would pay us in paintings, um, which is great. Um, but also we never sell them, so, you know, <laughs> it's not that great. Um, but so having a lot of painters around us in our lives was was wonderful and I could start to hear the way that they would speak about paint and I could sort of get something from that to teach me how to write fiction mm. you know it's not that I want to learn how to paint it's that their painting helps me write and an example that I can point to recently is a wonderful um, artist painter in Sydney called Jude Ray uh, whose work the work that I really love of hers are still life pictures and I, I asked her if I could interview her about still life because the book that I'm writing now I feel like is a kind of a still life. And I thought, how, how, do, you write, how do you make a still life that has energy and, and movement within it even though it looks sort of static? 
And she was so helpful to me, you know. She just said, oh, well, I do this and that. And I could, like, straight away just go, ah, I know what to do, to take from her painting to put it in my writing, sort of structurally. It's it's so helpful. Christos? Um, I was thinking, Charlotte, that one of the things that we have, and it is actually going right back to the first question of how we meet, like one of the things... Um, it wasn't when we first met, I, 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 uh, but and you've only, I mean, you know, you've only met my partner Wayne a handful of times. Really, I've met Sean only a handful of times. But you know, what can sometimes happen is, you know, they're ignored because people are looking over. You know, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. you you and I have partners who, who when we do feel like wankers, saying I'm a writer, who go, I know this is what you do, and support us, right? Yeah. And I think that. That's part of home, and Wayne's an amazing gardener, and that's something I've learned about how art works mm. from watching him create this most astonishing, fabulous garden through house after house. You know, mm. from because we've been, you know, and I think Sean has an art, has a sense of the of the imagination and the art for the yeah, and the, he's a musician. Yeah, as well, so. Thinks, so you're and. And I, I know I'm kind of jumping back to a question, but I do. I, I was thinking about what you said with young writers. I'm a writer, or I'm an artist, or I'm a musician. Sometimes I get frustrated. Well, what I say is, of course, you, but you have to do the work, and it's work, and you have to take it seriously. But the other thing is, please, is what's I think has enabled myself. I'll speak for me to continue in this world doing this. Are those relationships mm. of our mm. friends, of our partners? You know, I don't, you know, this is something I owe to Jane. Paul Freeman kind of take, you know, who's taken a punt on me right from the get-go. And I, you will only find out if you're a musician, a writer, a, 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 a visual artist by doing the work. Mm. But I, I worry sometimes that those relationships aren't being nourished, mm. that people are always looking over their shoulder for who's going to, you know, and, and I think... I remember you, uh, Christos launched a student anthology in Sydney years and years ago, the UTS, you know, creative writing anthology, which was a beautiful thing to do. And I remember you saying in that launch speech that if you are going to dedicate your life to this work, first of all, fine, the person you love has to believe that this is worth doing. Then you have to realise that you're not going to be able to live where you want to live. You know, if you, you, you may not live in the groovy suburb where all your friends are hanging out. You, you have to give things up yeah. in order to create this life because it's a very, very hard life. When, when you're here, it's a fantastic <laughs> life. But in, in, in all the in-between bits, it can be really rugged because it's only your self-belief and your, and your work ethic and your, you know, ability to develop your talent and work at developing your talent that, that will keep you going. But the, the people you love are the ones who will really keep you going, who are not writers necessarily, but who believe in what you do. I really, it's a really good thing to stress. Well, I often say to the question to the, you know, the, the relationship to the other arts, I mean, I've just come out of, I've loved working on this oratorio. Tell, tell us a bit about that, Christos. Yeah. So, yeah, it's important because this is, it's, you know, this is, you know, the, the river here 50 years ago, George Ian Ogilvy Duncan was murdered for, for being a poofter, basically. And, 
uh, um, a shocking hate crime. And actually there's a lot of bodies um, and a lot of um, uh, people who were bashed and killed. Um, and so when the idea came, you know, when Neil Armfield contacted me um, to work, um, he said, I want to get you and Elena Valentine to create a, a lyrics to an oratorio to, to talk about the event. And I was terrified because I've not done anything like that before, but I knew Elena's work and I knew I wanted to work with her. I knew the something of the story and I wanted, I thought it's an important story to tell. And it's been one of the great collaborations of my life because they trusted me, you know, music. I, I absolutely adore music I, I've, all my life and it is a continuing inspiration. But to actually be with a composer, to actually mm. how music works, mm -hmm. it feels like I've got this new language and what happens is now in our working lives we translate the experience of learning that language into, mm -hmm. into the work you and I do as writers, I think. That's like, so when, when I have been blocked, it's actually I'll go to the art gallery Mm. And I will have, you know, I will see a work of art and think mm. about what I am e experiencing, my relationship to it. And of course, film is one of the, you know, film, film keeps, you know, nourishing my imagination. I want to ask each of you now about the connection between creativity and the natural world. That seems to be something that is really important to both of you. Christos, with you, it, let's start with you because in your book, it becomes something a bit more than that. So Seven and a Half to me reads like a hymn to nature and the beauty of the natural world. You or the protagonist is based in this beautiful cottage on the south coast, regularly throwing yourself in the ocean, looking at the stars, looking at the sky, observing the animals. And you talk about in this book, or the protagonist does, the relationship between creativity and the sensual. And you say... There is a vital connection between the beauty I am seeking and the pleasure I've been trying to find again in my writing. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. I think it's really, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's through the luminous um, solution, Charlotte, you know, that it is so, so when I think of the, the, the question, Nicole, it's like, uh, learning again how to breathe properly, right? So in order to to remind myself this is the work I do, uh, actually, yeah, it is, it's, it's akin to prayer and it's akin to meditation. Uh, and I think if I had not, I keep going back to Damascus because I think the, the previous book did have a, a huge influence on me because it was about the sacred. So mm. it was, and I'd, I'd been so nervous about the sacred and wondering if, you know, it's a very hard thing to do in a secular age to talk about the sacred. Mm. And it was a reminder that there is something to the ineffable, to, to, to the world that you have to be conscious of and respond to. And one way you respond is through the body, right? Mm. That's, that's how you – that's why I'm talking about breathing. You know, that we live in a digital age, all right? The novel that w wasn't working, Resentment, was, I and I just kind of only realise it now, I think, is it wasn't working because to m it was based on a contemporary politics. So to get an understanding, I had to be on Google all the bloody mm -hmm. time. And it was, 
I wasn't breathing properly. I wasn't walking and smelling the world. I wasn't conscious of what, how things were moving, how my body was moving in the world. I don't know if that makes sense, Charlotte, but mm. I think that's what part of what the writer in Seven and a Half is trying to to understand and why he keeps putting the phone away. And when I talk about being too much online, it's not just the online stuff is poisonous. My online self feels icky, you know, sort of. So I, I, I was on Twitter for nine years and I loved it. I was completely addicted to it. And I made really good friends and I had, there was so much that was great about it. But I, over time, found my, my Twitter self it kind of just it made me sick in the end and I just had to get off it altogether. And it was to do with losing my own privacy, like giving my privacy away to the point that when I was starting sitting down to write alone without Twitter and thing, I could hear commentary mm. on the sentence that I just wrote. Mm. And it was my own commentary but it was also other people's commentary of, oh, could you believe, you know, mm. And and that was very poisonous to mm. my ability to work. You said in the book that it made you take less risks as a writer. Yeah, because I was always thinking, oh, that, that won't go down well with... Mm. And it wasn't the partic- particular people, but, you know, there's a, there's a very... I think there is a kind of um, slightly puritanical, mm. sanctimonious kind of vibe that can develop on social media... And I was sort of, I'm just continually grateful that there was no social media when I was 20 because I would have, uh, I would have just been the worst practitioner of this, you know, hunting people down and and I I would have out of of kind of an attempt to develop my own place in the world. I would have latched on to the nearest possible tribe and, you know, gone in there And, and I'm just so lucky that it, I couldn't um, but the it started to erode my ability to think my own thoughts until they were strong enough to share them you know and I still mm-hmm. feel like that I have to break away go private and that's one of the many many things I love about seven and a half is it's just the most perfect um, um, sort of portrait of what it's like to write fiction because, you know, the, the narrator is in this house alone, having brought in these boundaries of time and space, goes for a walk, sees a young man, thinks, ah, oh, that, that, A, that young man can be my character, but also that reminds me of this mm. thing when I was a child and that reminds me of this thing and there's mm. that starfish and it's this beautiful kind of absorb, absorbent state. And there is something about being too much online that it puts something between me and that openness, I suppose, that, that ability to have the, you know, the aerial just buzzing every time you see something. Somehow it does get deadened. And I just, and I'm, I love technology. Like I am every bit of gadget, whatever, I've got it immediately. I love all that stuff. But I'm, it's taken me a long time to learn that I have to be very careful with it. And the natural world is partly it's so important because it doesn't, because it isn't digital. 
that's one big thing about it. But also that the perspective shift. It's not human scale. You know, we. I, I often write at a place on the central coast in New South Wales and I look out and, and there's just water and um, hills and then these big cliffs and they've been there for millennia and I'm just like this little nothing there. That's a really healthy perspective shift to have when you think, I'm writing my book, it's so important. <laughs> and then you look out the window and go, none of that stuff knows that or cares I'm writing a book and it doesn't matter, you know, in the scheme of the planet. Um, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. And that's very healthy, I think. I want to ask you both about what you write about. Christos, in Seven and a Half, the protagonist makes it very clear that what he really wants to write about in this novel, Sweet Thing, is beauty. The protagonist says he no longer wants to write about politics or race or gender because he says, I'm tired of being angry all the time. And then at other points in the book, he... he d- describes how disillusioned he is with both sides of politics. I'm wondering if if that narrator is expressing feelings that you have. Is that how you feel? Because for many years, obviously, those are the things that you've written about, gender, race, politics. Is that how you feel now? Tired of being angry all the time, disillusioned with both sides of politics, wanting to write now at this time of your life about beauty? Um. There is, a, there is a conscious choice that I'd had in writing Seven and a Half to say I'm going to name the character Christos. I could have, you know, I don't name the, the partner Wayne, I'm Simon, so that's kind of the first moment where anyone who knows me going, yes. so is this mm. biographical or is it something else? Charlotte, you use the word Puritan, puritanical, mm. uh, in the culture, and I think that, yes, that is something that I do share with the character of Christo in in the book, is a sense of where, you know, because beauty, if you take it seriously, is not just the anodyne or the... Or, or the pretty beauty is also the terrifying. It's that moment when you, Charlotte, when you described looking out the window and going, "This has been here for millennia, and it does not care about me." Mm. You know that. You know that it's not a benevolent nature. Mm. It is. It is completely indifferent to 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 me. I disappear in that in that knowledge. Uh, there's a real there's terror in beauty as well. But, I, you know, that is what led us to do what we're doing, right? Through the books we, we, we read, through the films we saw, the first music we fell in love with, right? So, I mean, of course, I love pop. I, lo- I love pop, you know, kind of uh, in my first novel, I have the character has um, I Want You Back playing constantly on an A side of a tape, right? Uh, it's, but, and I, you know, I actually think that's a great art, but, you know, it's the, the, the moment I remember, and we were talking about it in the green room, you know, talking about, you asked Nicole about brothers and sisters, and I've got one brother, John, who I love, but I also grew up with my cousin, uh, Vicky, really close, and she was a couple of years older, and she introduced me, and I still remember this, I was in high school, and she'd brought, uh, she'd, uh, um, uh, bought a copy of um, uh, Joy Division's Closer, and I hadn't heard anything that kind of going clank, clank, clank in my head. And I thought, I'm, 
I'm going to just follow this because I want to, I want to understand it because I think there's going to be something really important in understanding that. And I found something beautiful, but it, you know, I had to work to find the, the beauty. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just trying to say that we, it felt like I lived in an age where the beauty, beauty was no longer something we cherished as artists. Now, that's a broad statement, and I know it's not true for everyone. It's certainly not true for you. Uh, but it felt like the commentary in the digital world didn't care about beauty. And that's why I wanted to... I just felt like I wanted to say, that's what we do. That's that, those emotions I just described about first listening to Joy Division are what I think art is. Mm. Charlotte. Um, but I also feel like you've earned that, you know, that if... If a writer starting out said, I only want to write about beauty, I don't, I'm not interested in politics, I'm not interested in the state of the world or society or holding a mirror up or any of that, I just want to write about beauty, I would think, great. But that's not all there is. Whereas you coming to write about beauty now, it's like with this huge um, sort of freight of all the really powerful work that you have done, in, in exactly examining all those things that we have to examine. And I, I think sometimes books are reactions against your, your own previous work. Like when I wrote um, The Weekend, mm. I just wanted to write something mm. funny. Mm. I'd just written The Natural Way of Things, which was, people who don't know it, a very kind of gruelling book about misogyny and, and it was hard. It was really mm. hard. And it's like when you wrote Dead Europe and then you wrote The Slap, right, as a kind of, antidote not knowing it would then go ballistic but you know there there you go through some sort of cycles and phases and um but i i was so excited when i when i read the beginning of that and said i want to write about beauty i was like oh this is so thrilling from christos you know because it's you doing it because you have because you've been you know scary christos <laughs> political in the past christos. political christos it, to me, that was very exciting, and it, and it was a it was a huge risk, you know, an artistic risk to say I don't I'm not I don't care about politics anymore, you know. I, I'm pretty sure you do care about politics, and it's clearly not true even within the within that book itself. Yeah. you know, it's just that it's not capital. You know, I mm. use capital mm. gender, capital sexuality, capital race. Mm. Cap, I mean. I think you'd have to do a, a deliberately a, a reading of bad faith to go that this isn't that I don't care about politics yeah. in, in, in this book. I, I, I remember, because, um, Nicole, you were asking about rage and uh, that what you described just then, Charlotte, I remember when uh, I read The Weeknd and was so excited because I, uh, well, because I, I adore the novel, but also I felt that lightness mm. and, and, you know, you're right, it's these, we, books that came out of rage too and it was to your question about rage there's something else sorry to interrupt you there's something else about when you write a certain kind of book so you spend all the years writing the book and then you spend if you're lucky you know a couple of years talking about the book and then over that time the publisher of every other book like that book sends it to you and asks you to do stuff with it so you're kind of so after the natural way of things, I received in the post every book about 
assault of women, rape of women, you know, the, the misogyny, all these great books. Mm. But I was just like, I, I've, I've done my time with this immersion in, the, in that material. Um, and, of course, I know why people were sending me those books. Um, and a lot of them I read and a lot of them were fantastic and some of them I did, you know, blurb and whatever. But it's kind of you get it's decided that that's the kind of writer you are. So, mm. you know, to it's very liberating then to just go, I'm stepping out of all of that and I'm going to be a funny writer or a writer of, you know, landscape beauty um, or porn, if you're Christos. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and, it's, and I think that's really one of, the, one of the great things about Seven and a Half is that it's a statement of, it's a kind of claim for the absolute jurisdiction of the artist. And that's a phrase that I, I heard um, said by um, Rosalie Gascoigne, the fantastic visual artist you will all know. And she said, I have absolute jurisdiction over what I do. And that is crucial. And that's, I guess, one of the things that the online world can start to erode your sense of your own absolute jurisdiction as an artist. And I think it's utterly essential that artists retain that um, no matter what the outcome, you know. And then, you know, actually there is that thing too. Um, yeah, you, you, you receive all this stuff and then there's this expectation in the world where you get, you know, uh, Christos, can you write about climate change? Or Christos, mm. can you write about cancel culture? Or Christos, can you write about the... Uh, and it's like, I don't... No, don't get me. Like, there are because point- you're not a commentator. You're yeah. an artist. Mm. And there's a difference that it's quite hard to... It's hard to say that because you... you um, you know, you want, to, you want to contribute and you're also very grateful that people ask for your thoughts. But for me, I was very clear after the natural way of things that I was not a commentator mm. on feminism because mm. I'm not. I want to be an artist um, and it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it is for me. Nonfiction is much harder to commit to, in, you know, if uh, because... One, I'm not a commentator. I'm not a journalist. I'm, you know, you know, no one needs to hear me on Russia and Ukraine. Mm. You need to hear mm. people who know mm. what is going on. You need to know people who know the bloody language. You know, we don't yeah. have enough of that. And so, when I have done nonfiction, it's because I think, okay, maybe there, you know, I wrote a piece on rage for the monthly, and I did that because I'd come back from. Mm. Uh, a southern Europe that had been smashed by the um, the debt cri- crisis, and it, it, actually that was the first time it, it hadn't happened to me. I, it didn't happen in Australia, but I suddenly went, "Oh my God, this is history, and this is creating something quite dangerous um, underneath." So I felt like I could try and say something about that, but I sweated in a different way to when I write fiction mm. in writing non-fiction because I felt the responsibility that I can't do the play, which I love in being a fiction writer, with seven and a half, to go, is it Christos or is it, yeah. is it something else? Mm. With this one, I had to be serious. Like I, 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 I had to, the authority of truth was a different kind of authority when it came to, to, to an essay in the monthly. Yeah, but also when you're writing that kind of thing, you, 
kind of can't then turn around to yourself and say, actually, that's all bullshit, what I just said to you, (laughs) you know. And I think as an artist, one of the important – well, as a fiction writer, I guess, one of the important things is um, really questioning yourself, you know, and and always thinking maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong about this. And when you're writing about climate change or, um, you know – and I've done – I've certainly done some of those pieces and I really – try not to do them anymore but um i sort of feel like i've got to i've got to make an argument here for something and i can't have those doubts that i can have in the fiction because then i lose my argument so i've got to sort of shore everything up and make it a lot more certain than i am about anything i mean i'm certain about some things like this government has got to go that is (laughs) like i'm but you know me saying that big deal it, it doesn't mean anything, me saying that. But So I'm certain about that, but I'm not certain about nearly everything else. And to, to be a, a fiction writer mm. and sort of placed in a position of commentary, like even me saying that then, that was kind of pretty self-indulgent, you know. It's, <laughs> but it's, it's important to recognise yeah. that in yourself, I think. And you can do it in fiction. Um, years ago I watched a, an interview with um, you know, Jimmy McGovern, uh, who wrote that series, Cracker? It was on a million years ago. And he he was talking about making um, drama and he said you, you have to constantly attack your own cause. I'm, I, I really like that friction of art and politics. Not that, of course, we care about things and we write it, but I, I want that friction to remain. Yeah. I don't want them to be comfortable bedfellows at all because mm. that's actually... That's when we do our best work, I think. And that's where you discover things in that space between certainties. And I think I bang on about that a lot in, in my book, that the, the place where art happens is that joining point of, of, of opposing things. Um, I've just suddenly thought of something else in Seven and a Half when the character of Andrea says to, to Christos in the book, well, you can't write about beauty, you know, it's not your area and you're not talented enough, which was like <laughs> dagger. And um, But then she's talking about her own political anger and, and eventually she says, but I don't know who I would be without my anger. Mm. And that was so moving because I feel like a lot of us feel like that, you know. And, and anger, I've got a, a chapter on anger in, in my book and it's about how, how useful it was as fuel for me in writing the natural way of things, but staying in that yeah. state is not possible for me. And, and staying you, in that state and creating something would not be possible. You talk about tempering it with humour, Charlotte, as mm. well. Both mm. of you talk a bit about that. Yeah, I think humour is really important. I'm, I'm writing a book now that I'm feeling like it doesn't, it's, one of the things that's wrong with it is it doesn't have that lightness. And when I talk about humour, it's, it's not jokes but it's it's a lightness it's a and that's what nature does too i think brings in that sudden swerve in perspective that you know it's like the sun comes out that's changes the mood of something in a book just rambling now i know it's i think that was that chapter on 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 anger is i think It's really important because it's not like we don't get angry, right? But to live in that anger uh, of 
when you write natural way of things, like to live in that, right? Mm. It tears you apart. Mm. Um, and I, I think you have to, you know, you were scared, you said you were scared of me, Charlotte, because there was like the angry young man, right, yeah. the, of, you know, and um, I didn't want to be that in the world. Um, I was, but it wasn't a you particularly healthy. Were, really. Yeah, but it also isn't healthy long term to be in that rage, right? It, it, yeah, and that's, I mean, the, the awful thing is that we are allowed to choose to let go of it, you know, because yeah. we're rich and we live in yeah. Australia and we're white and we're educated and we have resources. And the, the people that I really feel for are people who cannot be released from their anger because there is the, the justice has not been done, you know, and I feel that that is, must be a terrible thing to live with and, and impossible to, to get out of, you know. So well, I'm aware you've of got the to be of uh, Sorry, Charlotte, to interrupt there, but it, yes, that's absolutely, like that's, of course that's absolutely important, right? But what the digital world at the moment does is go, we're going to just take that anger and we're going to amplify it. And we're not going to, you know, I, I worry that, you know, there is no care of solidarity of, for people anymore to, to go, actually, you also need solace. We, we need to find ways to, to have peace, even if it's for one hour a day, otherwise you are going to... You're going to yeah. die. And, yeah. and I agree with that. I also, you know, I just read that book, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, um, which I know lots of, there's lots of apparently problems with the research, but a lot of that is about the technology companies designing it to keep us angry because that's what keeps you scrolling. And it's not a moral thing. It's just like you need to stay there so the ads keep, you know, we keep getting advertising revenue that... Stuff that makes you angry makes you stay in there to <laughs> express your anger. If it was just beauty, you might walk away from it, <laughs> you know. Anyway, that's a whole area that I know nothing about, so. But I, I, I do think that there is a, a link. I mean, there's so many links, you know, to, to your book and mine. And one is, you know, you know clearly we talk about this, you know, we, we think about this, this is, you know, it's not, politics is important to us, but there is kind of wanting to remember beauty and joy mm. and pleasure. And so you and I are both in different ways, it feels, in this book going, does it have to be so puritanical at the moment? Or that you're allowed to have joy. Yeah, yeah. You know, that if, if you are lucky, yeah, if you're about. lucky enough to, to see some joy in front of you, you're allowed to have it. And I think... You know, the, the Andrea character is the sort of person who thinks you're not entitled to that because of all the horror. You know, there's so much horror. We all know that. We all feel it. Um, but I think it's really important that to say we are also allowed to have that joy yes. because it's a life force, right, and it's a force that can help you then work to address the other stuff. It's romantic, I know, but... I wish we could keep this conversation going for another couple of hours. We probably need to start to wrap it up now. We've got time for a couple of questions, so I think we'll say the first two people to the microphone. Go. 
Yes. <laughs> hey, Christos. Julian. Oh, Julian! <laughs> Old man's eyes. <laughs> Same. My, in the last part of your presentation and discussion, you were talking about rage and anger and solidarity, and it made the word comrade leap off the page for me and from the title, Comrades in Words. So I just wondered if you could both comment on what the word comrade means to you and where that meaning comes from. Mm. Uh, Beautiful question. So it, it's such a it's a difficult word, word in one way because it you know it it, it is uh, it, it's tied to a particular political history to do with communism, right? Which is part of my heritage in 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 this world. And I was actually thinking about it. I was so excited to walking up because I'm staying in Franklin Street, walking up to here to meet Charlotte and Jane. You know, is maybe fellowship is another you know a, a word that comes closer to what, mm. I, what, I'm, what I'm feeling because mm. of being, in its best, comradeship means that we're in a struggle together and I really, I think I want to save that element of that, that word. I think it's really important. Mm. So, yeah, I, I've got to tell you, I, was, I wanted to say this to you, so I'm going to say it in front of all of you. Right? So, <laughs> uh, a week yeah. and a half ago, and it comes from that question, I'd met up with some people I haven't met, seen for over 30 years maybe, right, uh, or 25 years, and we were all involved in a group called IPNA, which was Greek Communist Youth. Like, so it was, a, uh, for, yeah, it was an arm of the Greek Communist Party in bloody Melbourne and it had the, and we were righteous and we were angry and we were, uh, but it was lovely meeting up Again, with these people, as I said, some of them I haven't seen for so long. And I, a lot of them were Greeks and they had spent a lot of time in Greece. And we got into really passionate arguments about Ukraine, about art, about football. I, and I came away over and I said to Wayne the next morning, what I did not hear from any of those people was the phrase, you can't say that. They may have, they may have said, why why did you say that? Or I don't believe that. And I feel like at the moment in in my culture, people are saying a lot, you can't say that. And when I'm with Charlotte, she never says that to me. I think that's mm. what fellowship and that's mm. part of fellowship and comradeship for me. I think on that note, sadly, we'll have to wrap up. Thank Sorry. you both so much, Charlotte and Christos, for a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to be here again. Thank you for listening to Books, Books, Books. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go to my website, nicoleabberdy.com.au, to listen to all the episodes and find out more about the podcast. You can also find me, Nicole Abbey, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and look for my reviews in Good Weekend. You can subscribe to Books, Books, Books at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all the usual places. It would be lovely if you could go to any of these platforms and give Books, Books, Books a rating or review. Thank you. I look forward to talking books with you again soon. Thank you.